Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello everyone, Rob Guest from Football.London here and welcome to the latest episode of Gold and Guest Talk Tottenham sponsored by NordVPN. Tottenham are up and running in 2023 following a brilliant 4-0 win over Crystal Palace at Selhurst Park on Wednesday evening. Alice the Gold joining me as ever. Ali, you must be in a better mood this week. (laughs) I I think I'm still a bit bewildered. I think you and I were both sat there at Selhurst Park, slightly chilly Selhurst Park, and with our, you know, the the view you get from the press box at Selhurst Park, which was a, a little bit patchy to say the least. Um, and I think both of us kind of with each goal was going in, we were but like, What? <laughs> Where's this suddenly come from? What three to four days ago, they couldn't hit a barn door, and now suddenly, every time they went forward in that second half, they looked like they were going to score a goal. I have no idea where that performance came from, but we're all very grateful for it. Well, people of Crystal Palace are not, obviously. Yeah, it was certainly much needed, especially after that. Oh, dismal 2-0 defeat against Aston Villa on New Year's Day. Spurs just haven't had a, a good run of form. Uh, you know, either side of the uh, break, obviously, for the World Cup and certainly needed three points against Crystal Palace, especially with the likes of Manchester United on a good run of form as well. Liverpool, prior to the Brentford game, had started to pick up the wins as well. So, thankfully, Tottenham, three points on the board. Harry Kane getting two of the goals, Matt Doherty and... A rare one from Son Hyung Min as well. Which is a weird phrase to use, isn't it? <laughs> That's yeah. the strange reality this season. Yeah, it is. Only the third game he scored in this season, but hopefully that will be a turning point for him. Uh, obviously, we'll go into it in a bit more depth shortly. But let's start with the team. It was two changes. Oliver Skip came in for the suspended Yves Basuma and then Eric Dyer replaced Ben Davis at the back. I mean, it was pretty much what you expected, given you kept saying you got the predicted team right a number of times. <laughs> oh, listen to that. Digging me out in the podcast. Um, if you want to say that I got a predicted team right, yeah, you know, I'll accept that. Um, yeah, it was it was kind of the team. The only potential change I think both of us thought was a maybe was that he could have maybe played Sessignon and pushed Perisic up front um, on the left and stuck Sonny on the right. But... It's one of those things, wasn't it? I think it went on Twitter, it went, oh, it went on social media, and everyone went mad saying, oh, it's such a rubbish team, it's such a rubbish bench, which, to be fair, it was a bench with no attacking options again. But apart from a sticky 25 minutes or so in the first half, the team did its job, and then some. You know, to come away from Selhurst Park with a 4-0 win, that is not something a lot of teams are going to go and do. Um, Patrick Vieira has really got that team. They've got a nice balance of skill, physical players. I think the one thing they're just really missing is someone that can put the ball in that net on a consistent basis. If they had that, I think that would be a very, very good team he's got down there. Um, and obviously, Selhurst Park's always a noisy place to go as well. But I found, I don't know about you, that Spurs kind of really quieten down the crowd you could just hear the Spurs fans singing their Brian Hill songs and stuff like that and and we got Antonio and Tonio back again that was being sung too um and a couple of little Daniel Levy chants right at the start um but yeah it was um it was a team that did the job in the end so yeah no complaints really I thought the first half was, was like uh first half of two halves really I mean the first 20 minutes, Tottenham started really, really well. Uh, Brian Hill obviously taking the game to him, having a couple of attempts on goal. The first one, just no no power behind it at all. But the second one, such good play from him to cut inside and, you know, kill an effort at Guaita. And, I mean, it was yeah. comfortable save from him, but it just showed the intent from uh, Brian. And then Crystal Palace got a foothold in the game and, you know, really did put Spurs under pressure and, I mean, they're always gone to trouble you when they've got the likes of uh, Wilfred Zaha 
uh, Eze, uh, Michael Elise as well in attack. And, you know, Hugo Lloris had to make a really, really good save from Jordan Ayew. At first, from where we were positioned, thinking, yeah, comfortable save. But then when you're looking at the replays, it was a really, really good stop. And, you know, considering Tottenham's recent form, a, a really important one at that as well. So, yeah, I think half-time probably came, you know, at the perfect time for Tottenham, just because Palace were pushing on and looking to get that open. And then, you know, three minutes after the restart, Harry Kane struck in from then on, it was only going to be one winner. Yeah, it was a really weird game. It was. That first, what would we say, 15, 20 minutes from Spurs? It was. It was a bit like, I saw a few other journos tweeting out as well. It's like, Spurs have actually played pretty well. You know, bearing in mind what they've come from, you know, the game before, they've actually shown a fair bit of kind of spirit in this first, yeah, 15, 20 minutes. And then, like you say, that period, Palace were putting a lot of pressure on the goal um, and Spurs just couldn't get out. They were making lots of sloppy mistakes with the ball. Skip and Hoybier looks a bit overwhelmed in the middle together. They weren't using the ball particularly well. Ball wasn't sticking up front. I think you and I both got to halftime. We're a bit like, ooh, at <laughs> least it's a bonus they got in, you know, without conceding a goal. <clears throat> and then second half, night and day, it's probably, I reckon, the best 45 minutes of the season, I might even say. I, I, just the way they dismantled them, um, the goals they scored, which pretty much all of them uh, were very good quality, um, certainly certain elements of the build-up as well. Harry Kane came alive, um, ran the game second half, really, involved in all four goals. Brian Hill just made such a big impact. Um, yeah, the whole game really absolutely turned around in that second half. Um, and finally, <laughs> the 10-game curse of conceding first was ended. And Matt Doherty, I was um, looking, uh, listening to his interview after the game that he did, and he kind of he summed it up quite nicely is that Spurs last season, in the second half of the season, were always scoring first and they had that instant boost of confidence and they would go on, in his words, to wipe the floor with the opponent. And it was quite interesting that how the, just that little psychological difference of constantly having to come behind, it obviously wears you down, wears you down. And suddenly in a game for the 11th, I mean, it's first time since mid-October, Spurs have scored the first goal, bang. It's like everything absolutely changed. They've swept forward and looked like the Tottenham that we all kind of want to watch. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting point. And, and one of those, it's probably quite obvious, but you don't really think about it. It's just the psychological aspect of scoring first completely transforms the way the team plays. And uh, more confidence. Every pass was pretty much a forward pass. The movement off the ball suddenly became so much better. And that allows the likes of Brian Hill, you know, really technically good players to kind of do what they do. Um, and like you say, Hugo Lloris as well. Hugo Lloris made three key saves in that match at crucial times. And I think it's really important because we're all of us, fans, media, everyone included, we're very quick to jump on a goalkeeper or Hugo Lloris when they make a mistake. I think it's really important that when they have a match where they've made three very importantly timed saves, I think it's good that we kind of flag that up. Otherwise, what happens is you just go on and you say like, oh, Larissa just makes mistake after mistake. And you kind of forget those games that he's played really well. Um, and I think it's important to take them into account because I felt all the big players stepped up in that second half and that was the difference. And as you were saying, the first goal in the contest was always going to be key. So if Crystal Palace had scored in the first half when they were up in the pressure, then you're thinking, well, Tottenham heads will drop and they'll just go back to what they have done over the past 10 games and, you know, probably end up uh, losing the game or maybe, you know, just managing to scrape a point uh, at Selhurst Park. So the first goal was always going to be key and especially having to weather that storm prior to half-time to then score three minutes into the restart, that then makes life incredibly difficult for Crystal Palace. And, you know, I mean, let's speak about that first goal. So it was such a well-worked goal. Uh, obviously, Harry Kane's gone to get the plaudits for being in the right place at the back post to head that ball in. But Brian Hill showed his intelligence on the ball to come inside with it, create a bit of space, picked out uh, even Perisic. And you just know what you're going to get from Perisic in those positions. Uh, it was pinpoint ball on the money. Kane 
Rose Heist at the back post and really good header and uh, fantastic goal. Really, really good goal. Yeah, I am. Um, like you say, I think the Brian Hill little movement in the middle was so pivotal. I, I watched back the goals earlier, just kind of on on a bigger screen to with a little replay one that we got last night. Um, just to have a little look at the little touches they took and things like that. And Brian Hill, he takes the ball. And he just has this little bit of movement that takes it away. I think it's Joel Ward coming in. He just skips past him and just hits the perfectly weighted ball for Perisic to take into his stride. Then he can kind of chip that ball to the back post. And we should point out that's eight assists now for Perisic. I think we said last night, didn't we? As free transfers go, (laughs) that he has to be up there with one of the best in the Premier League uh, this season by a mile. Eight? You know, I think it's eight assists in 24 games. Um, just incredible impact, really, for a guy in his 30s, his first attempt at the Premier League. Uh, just shows how adaptable he is. Um, but yeah, move by, by Hill, crossed by Perisic, and Kane's header was just classic Kane. It's like, you can I don't think you could ever really criticise Kane's ability to put, himself, put his body on the line. And, and there, you know, he threw himself in, you know, it was a right tangle of bodies in the air. He could have could have been one of those horrible moments where he falls and his ankle like turns. It could be anything. He could have clashed with the other players' legs, but he didn't care. He went in there, got his head to it, nodded it home, and that was it. Everything changed. Although it was quite interesting. I, for the first two goals especially, Conte was unmoved completely in the technical area. Uh, latter two goals went absolutely berserk. It was like it's like someone had plugged him back in, recharged his batteries back up. Um, but yeah, now that was a terrific goal, and I felt the the moment for Brian Hill. It just in that moment he knew he'd played a big part in a goal, and from then on it was like someone flipped a switch for him. Whereas I felt before that goal he was really trying hard, had some nice little moments, but was getting knocked off the ball still quite a bit. And I think from that moment on his confidence soared, and pretty much every time he got the ball, I can I can't really remember him getting knocked off. I think he was just using it more intelligently, passing at the right times, and had the confidence to get past people when he needed to. So, yeah, it just unlocked so many doors, that goal. Yeah, I think once you go 1-0 up, obviously a team's always the most vulnerable after scoring the goal. And I think, you know, considering Tottenham's form, it was just key to have, you know, a steady five minutes. Just do your basics right and just, you know, keep tight at the back and, that's what Tottenham did. And I think that quick fire goal five minutes after Kane's opener really killed off Palace. And, you know, Brian Hill at the heart of that again, what a pass on the money, precise between two uh, Crystal Palace players, just arrowed it into Kane, touch out of his feet and then into the bottom corner, you know, as good as the first one was, that was a fantastic finish. Oh, honestly, there's so many elements of that goal to kind of really enjoy and one that maybe might go over, kind of looked, and it did by me at the time, only when I watched it back earlier, is that Matt Doherty makes a really good run from the right-hand side infield to, he gets his, he kind of chests down a pass from the left. I can't remember who played the pass now, but he chests it down. He's going to run. It actually looked like he was fouled. Um, and it's exactly the bit of wing play, wing back play that Conte loves. He, he's going there, the ball's, he's fouled, but the ball then rebounds to Kane. He plays it to um, Brian Hill, gets into position. Hill's pass, it had to be a fast one. It had to be a really quick pass. Brilliantly between the two players, dissected them. But then obviously, because it's so fast, Kane has to take the absolutely perfect cushion touch, and he does. And then to be able to hit it almost first time, I can't remember it was first time, well, it wasn't first time because he took the touch, but it was quickly taken. And to arrow it into that bottom left corner, it's everything that's just incredible about Harry Kane was nicely summed up in that goal. That was, and that was it. I felt almost the match was done at that point. You could just see the confidence sucked out of the crowd, the, the Palace players. They were still trying to get forward, but really, I think they knew that was the turning point. And that's the difference is that Spurs have players, especially Harry Kane, that can put the ball away. And Palace didn't, and uh, that proved to be the difference. I mean, after that second goal, Brian Hill, we said it last night, he was just oozing with confidence after that second one. Yeah, you like the word oozing. You were using it a lot last night. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, confidence was sky high, and that's exactly what you want to see from him because he's had 
a really difficult 18 months since he's uh, been at the club. You know, opportunities have been few and far between, but we saw it at the start of the game. Really good, really impressive start to take the game to him. Yeah, he was out-muscled a couple of times, but I mean, I think there was one occasion at the other end of the pitch. I think it was Joel Ward who went into the box and Brian Hill, I think, actually out-muscled him in the area, sent him crashing down into the advertising boards. But, you know, really, really promising display from him. And, you know, Tottenham fans singing his name uh, loud straight after the second goal, after he was substituted as well, and then after the full-time whistle and... I don't think that's the last we've heard of that chant. Uh, no, which you were very quick to identify as well. Yeah, uh, give it up, Casey in the Sunshine Band. Uh, yes, obviously before. on the Rob Guest playlist. <laughs> <laughs> right, shall we discuss the third goal? Because as nice as it was to see Matt Doherty score, I think the build-up also highlighted Son's current struggles because he did have a really, really good opportunity to get a shot off on target, but hesitated, took an extra touch, then tried to uh, play it across goal. It got deflected into Doherty's path, and you know, thankfully he was in the right place at the right time with a cool finish to make it free. Yeah, it's um, yeah. there's different elements to this goal. There's another really nice moment from Harry Kane. He battles away in the corner, keeps the ball, shields it, plays a really nice ball uh, through to Son's run. I think, yes, I agree that there was a moment where Sonny could have taken an earlier shot. But then what I would say is the keeper comes out very quickly and kind of narrows down the angle after that, after I watched it back. Um, Then, yes, he gets a bit of luck with the pass, which looks like he's trying to play it across the face of goal. But then there's a touch off the defender, which knocks it almost not quite sideways, but maybe a 45-degree angle, and it heads off towards Doherty, who he's just a man in like goal-scoring form at the moment. Lovely left-footed shot, which he says he was practising in the warm-up, funnily enough, before, and he said he hit two or three exactly like that that went right into the bottom corner. I think Gaeta got a little hand to it, didn't he? I'm not saying he had an extra little hand. He got a slight bit of his hand to it, which uh, couldn't really stop it. But no, it was a nice goal, and I think it was really good for Doherty because... He looks sharp again. I think we're seeing little bits of the Doherty from the uh, end of last season before that Matty Cash tackle. Um, yeah, I'm really happy for him, especially when you know we know Spurs are looking at a potential new right wing back for this window. I think it's nice that he's pressing his claims um, and, re- and just reminding everyone what he can do. Um, and he's he's reclaimed that that shirt. I don't think it's anyone else's right now. That that right wing back position. It's all his. Um, so, yeah, good goal. Um, the other thing I just wanted to say very quickly on Brian Hill, I forgot to mention it when we were talking about earlier, is, is the work that he's put in behind the scenes as well, which maybe has gone unnoticed. I mean, he admitted himself last season alone, I think, after he went to Valencia, he put on about two kilograms, apparently. He was like trying to work out desperately. I think he's just one of these guys that he's just quite, his frame is quite small, you know. Um, but he does remind me, I was thinking about this um on the drive back, funny enough, from Selhurst Pass. His body is quite similar to Luka Modric's. It's a very similar kind of that lithe little kind of frame. And the good thing about that, clearly, is the fact that Luka Modric not only adapted to the Premier League and Spurs, but he became one of the best players in the world. So, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not comparing them directly, although I know uh, when I asked Conte about him, he chucked out the Bernardo Silva reference again comparison which is high praise. It really is. But he also gave me a lovely quote. Um, Brian Hill is born to play football, which I really, really like that. And I get it. He's just a You can imagine him as a little kid just kind of dribbling around with the ball around his house, you know, when he was young. Um, very, very intelligent player. He went away. He worked really hard. Came back in the summer, worked incredibly hard. Out in South Korea, he was leading those horrible pitch-long sprints that they used to do. He was always right near the front or at the front in those. Um, and you can see that fitness-wise, he's motors up and down the flank. He gets knocked down, he bounces up, he comes straight back, and he's constantly going. He could have played the full 90 last night, but I think it's a good thing that he was actually taking off because it almost showed that Conte was kind of trying to protect him. I, I'm, I'm presuming he'll play against Portsmouth as well. Um, and, yeah, I, I'm really, really happy for him because it wasn't easy for him. Sent away with... Conte kind of quite publicly saying he didn't think he was suited to the Premier League. 
And he's he's come back and he's he's fought his way back and he has a night like that as his reward. Because let's be honest, if we're going to be really, really honest about it, if Kulisevsky, Richarlison, or probably even Lucas was available, Brian Hill would not have started last night's match. He wouldn't have got the opportunity, um, but he took it. He absolutely took it. And now he's put himself into that reckoning. And now when Conte looks at that bench, He'll see Brian Hill and he won't think, oh, maybe he won't be able to do anything. He'll think, oh, fair enough. No, I've seen him come on at a tough Premier League ground and be involved in three goals, you know, including his first Premier League assist. So, no, I thought that was really, really important for Brian Hill. Big, big night. And like I say, Matt Doherty as well, who uh, I think is hopefully only going to keep getting stronger and stronger. There was a really nice moment uh, between Brian and Conte uh, wanted being substituted off yeah. in the 77th minute uh, obviously he was walking off Conte gave him a kiss on the side of the head big hug and I think he said bravo to him twice so he, he, was, did, he yeah. was certainly uh, impressed uh, by his performance I think maybe uh, his reactions rather telling really I think someone summed it up nicely on Twitter when I was having a look is it a case of well now welcome to the circle of trust you're, you're, <laughs> you're in my plans now. and Well, the- this is it. From what we understand, we, we we think it's like the likelihood of him going out on loan is just shrinking by the week. I mean, it was already getting a bit lower, I think, with the Lucas Mora injury. But after last night, it's a bit like, you know, if you put, they're looking for a new attacker and that new attacker comes in and probably, you know, that fills the space left by Lucas Mora. But why... Why send him out now? I think if as long as you're going to use him, I, I think it would probably be mad now to let him go. Yeah, 100%. I mean, we were speaking ahead of the game last night and I was saying, well, if Brian goes out and learn, you need, yeah, you, you need two players because you need one to replace him. And really, you need one to replace Lucas because how many times has he been available this season? And I mean, yeah. when I was at the press conference the other week and asked Conte about him. He basically said, well, it's like he's, he's not available. So then if Brian goes, you've only got Richarlison, Kulosevsky, Kane and Son as your attackers. And yeah. you can't afford to be in that position at the business end of the season because injuries have, you know, ravaged Tottenham at times. And these players season. are picking up repeated injuries as well. Kulosevsky and Richarlison, you know, they're, they're getting repeated injuries at the moment, which is not good. Yeah, so... Yeah. Thinks Tottenham have to keep Brian, and I think they will after last night. There's no way you can let him go out on loan. Uh, but for me, I think he's just always needed an opportunity at Tottenham. You know, 10 15 minutes at the end of a game every now and then is not enough to make an impact. And you've seen in, that, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's just enough time, you know, to get up to the speed of the game. Yeah. Never mind, you know, having a huge, huge impact. He did really well against. Uh, the Champions League against Sporting when he came on. But even yeah. after that, Conte didn't really give him the minutes that he probably deserved. Did he uh, play well against Frankfurt as well? No, I think he struggled a bit, Frankfurt away. He kept, lo- Frankfurt the one he didn't. kept losing the ball in the uh, final 10 minutes and you could see, obviously, I think he was struggling, obviously, with the uh, physicality of the game at times. Uh, yeah. But, it's just an opportunity, what he's needed. And everyone might be saying, yeah, he's not strong enough for the Premier League. But the only way he's gone to become strong enough for the Premier League is by playing those regular games and thinking, well, I'm not going to get a free kick here. I need to be a bit stronger on the ball and etc. And, you know, mm-hmm. as long as he keeps putting in the work behind the scenes, keeps impressing Conte as it has been, then those opportunities will be coming his way. And, you know, FA Cup on Saturday against Portsmouth, you think, 100% it should be in the starting lineup. Because, I mean, Tottenham don't have that many attacking options at the moment. And really, do you want to put Harry Kane in the starting lineup, especially with the North London derby on the horizon? I just don't think you can risk that. So I think Brian will be playing in the Cup on Saturday. And hopefully, there'll be a few more opportunities coming his way. Yeah. I um, Here's a question for you Do you think that Brian Hill being given a chance? Because of circumstances and impressing, will that change Conte's stance when it comes to these younger players? Because he's making a big deal yesterday about, look at all the young players I'm using. And it's a bit like, yeah, because you have to. Um, do you think it will change his stance on these certain things? 
I'm not sure. I think he'd favour his, you know, preferred players. I think, like you're saying, you know, Saar, Brian Hill have only really come in because there's been absent players. Uh, but this is the thing. you just got to give your players an opportunity to show what you can do. Don't be scared of, you know, throwing them in. Look at Chelsea. Uh, a few years ago, Frank Lampard gave Reese James, Mason Mount, etc. an opportunity in the team. Maybe if he didn't, would they be playing for Chelsea now, for England? Perhaps not. I think you've just got to give these players an opportunity. Yeah, and I know you're a big Frank Lampard fan, so that's high praise. <laughs> yeah, right. Shall we... Uh, <laughs> Moving on. We'll move on uh, <laughs> to the fourth goal. Uh, a much-needed one for Son. You know, he could have snatched at this opportunity. So he did have a, a bit of time, but, you know, finished it well. Took the mask off, threw it to the ground... Uh, it was uh, a really, really nice sight to see him on the score sheet once again. Yes. Yeah, no, it was. Once again, Kane and Hill both involved. Um, Kane flick on, goes to Hill, touches it back. Nice kind of awareness to think to do that rather than trying to turn and go with it. Uh, then, yeah, Kane plays. It was quite a funny ball. It's like a lofted ball that is almost as if he knew it was going to cause problems. It was... Oh, who was his defender? Mark um Gehi, that's it. He's um I didn't think he was very good in that, in that moment, especially. Really kind of struggled with the flight of the ball. And Son, who we know isn't the most physical player, was very, very kind of easy for him to just like ease him off the ball. Um and then, you know, it was that little bit of luck that I think maybe Sonny's been missing out on this season. You know, he has his shot, which I was watching it back, watching an angle. It looked like it was actually try. He was aiming for the other corner, but it strikes the underneath of guys. How do you pronounce his surname? I'm going to keep getting that wrong. Gerhi, I think. I, I could be wrong because I think there was a video from Palace at the start of the season saying how to pronounce all these surnames. Right. So obviously, don't quote me on that. I could be. Well, it wrong. struck his foot <laughs> underneath and um, flew into the bottom left corner. Um, and presumably, you know, Sonny's strike was going on target anyway, otherwise he wouldn't have been given the goal. But it's just maybe things, little things have gone against him and we all kept saying maybe he just needed a goal to like flying off his backside or something and just nothing's really gone his way. Whereas last night, you know, he ended up with a, a pass that was going elsewhere that deflects into Doherty's path that he scores and then he had a shot which was heading in a different part of the goal which deflects straight into the bottom left corner. So maybe that's all he needed was just a bit of a change in luck um, and like you say, leapt off, ran off, celebrated. The mask was thrown off, then rediscovered. Um, Conte was going mad on the touchline as well. He was clearly, he knows how important Sonny is and getting him back to some kind of confidence is huge. Like you say, I think he has to really start against Portsmouth and get his confidence going, get some more goals if he can against a team, you know, who have just had to, sack their manager um, because obviously they're struggling in League One. So, yeah, it's kind of try and take advantage of any of that that you can in front of a good crowd. I think it's sold out as well, Portsmouth game. Um, yeah, great for Sonny. And hopefully this is the start of something now because what I loved after the game was looking up as we were waiting in the press conference and they had a little screen in the press conference room and seeing Kane and Son smiling doing a post-match interview. There's a site that we've seen so many times over the years because you know they've been the saviour in go games, they've combined or whatever. And we just haven't seen it this this season because obviously Sonny, like you say, just only scoring in the two other games. He hasn't really had to do the post-match stuff too much. Um, it was so nice to see him happy again. And uh, yeah, hopefully this now proves to be, pardon the pun, a spur for him um, and Tottenham. Yeah, hopefully it is the turning point because we thought that was going to be the case at the start of October after that hat-trick against Leicester, a really strong international break. And then uh, I think Frankfurt, he got two goals, didn't he? Early part of October, but just wasn't to be the case. Uh, I said it last week on the pod, I don't think he particularly had a good World Cup either. Uh, did play his part in that Portugal uh, win with a really, really good piece of play in the last minute. But other than that, yeah. I thought he struggled. And yeah, I think, of course, you've got to take into consideration his injury as well. So it must be really difficult for him to play wearing a face mask. Uh, 
we've just been waiting for some time for Son, you know, to uh, get back to his best because in the first few months of uh, 2022, he was in devastating form and, you know, deservedly won that Premier League golden boot on the final day. So hopefully we will see the real Son uh, over the coming months. And I think it's an ideal game really against Portsmouth in the FA Cup. You think, yeah, there hopefully should be a few chances for him, but... Then again, Tottenham did struggle against Markham in the same round of the competition 12 months ago. The Tongi on Dembele match. Oh, I forgot about that. Do you know what? I, I do think we need to talk about Harry Kane. I do think we need to talk about just how big a performance that was. And I'm going to reel off some stats for you as well. I know you love a good stat. Go on then. So, 300th Premier League match, that was. 297 for Spurs, three for Norwich. He scored those two goals, made it 198 Premier League goals in those 300 matches, which is better than anyone else in Premier League history. Only Alan Shearer's, um, Alan Shearer previously had the record for that, which was 196 by his 300th game. So he's reached that goal tally. That's just, just remarkable, quite frankly. He's only the second player after Teddy Sheringham to score on his 100th, 200th and 300th Premier League appearance, which is quite a weird kind of feat. I saw there was another strange stat knocking around, something about the first player to score more than 10 goals on six days of the week, which was quite a random one that I saw floating about as well. Uh, He's now just 10 behind Wayne Rooney in the Premier League all-time goal scorer charts. Wayne Rooney's got 208, Shearer 260. We know with Spurs, he's now just two behind Jimmy Greaves. Um, 266 Jimmy Greaves obviously had. Kane's on 264 now. Obviously, we know he's scored 15 goals in 18 Premier League matches, which is his joint best start to a season. Um, And there's a weird one for me that just my mind kind of boggled when I read this one. It's the 11th calendar year in a row that Kane has scored for Spurs. Wow. 11 calendar years. That's just mad. And he doesn't seem old enough to be able to manage that. No, no. That's, yeah, that's a strange one, that, but no. I'm not even sure how that works, but I've seen that in a couple of places now that being used. When was his first goal? 2011? Uh, like he was about, was he 20, was he? I'm trying to remember now. It's just weird. The, the way it's worked out, I think that's how it's worked because of that. He must have been towards the end of one season or something. But yeah, I mean, yeah, if I'm completely honest, Spurs are so lucky to have had him for so long. <laughs> it really is. Because with no disrespect intended of Spurs, everyone knows what Spurs have been like over the years, how close they've come and sometimes how far they've been from winning silverware. But Harry Kane is a player who deserves trophies in his CV. He really does. He is honestly one of the best in the world. And when you watch some of the things he does on a football pitch, he just improves so much from the player he was when he was young as well, when he was just purely, just really a goal poachery type, uh, just would score so many goals. And he just almost redeveloped himself into this incredible all-round player. Um and you spoke to him after the game, didn't you? And it sounds like he was quite kind of honest about how the that that penalty miss affected him and everything. I mean, what was he like? Yeah, he was quite good on it, to be honest. I think basically what he was saying, yeah, it's something that he's never going to be able to forget. And I think they had like a week after the World Cup when he was on holiday and that and, you know, had time to think about it. But I think what's, I think what's probably helped him is the fact that the World Cup wasn't in the summer, so you don't have like six weeks to dwell on the miss. He's literally yeah. had a couple of weeks straight back into action and he's bounced back really well, you know, really good header away at Brentford. Two goals at Crystal Palace, really strong performance from him. And I think that's exactly uh, what he's needed. You know, you know what he's like in and around the box. You know, chances come his way, he's going to take them and those numbers are absolutely incredible and he's gone to smash you know Jimmy Greaves' record he'll beat Alan Shearer's as well in the Premier League Tottenham fans you know are just so so lucky to have a player of his quality uh, at the club so yeah he was was really honest about uh, obviously the penalty missing the World Cup and bouncing back and 
I did ask him about two goals away from Jimmy Greaves' record. Uh, Arsenal coming up next Sunday. Obviously, perfect game uh, to break that record in. And he did say he's uh, he's not really focused on it or the uh, the numbers. What he's got, he's, he just focused on on game by game, and that record will come. And you certainly wouldn't rule it rule it out him uh, getting a couple against Arsenal in the derby. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. That would be nice. Do you know what? I think he might play against Portsmouth, though. I know you don't think he should, but I think because you've got eight days after Portsmouth to Arsenal, I just kind of have this feeling that he might play. And I wonder whether he does the record at home then, or maybe even equals it at least, um, which should be quite interesting. But yeah, it's just, this is why I never understood the Bayern Munich links to Kane. I never understood that because apart from the fact that he said himself he doesn't want to play abroad, he was quite clear on that. He's he's just so, for a man, he, he, he you know, I don't think he thinks day-to-day records, but we know that he's always had Jimmy Greaves' record in his mind at Spurs, and he's all, always had Alan Shearer's record as well. So I never understood the Bayern Munich links, um, which now, funnily enough, in Germany, they're now after about a year of plugging that link and now saying, oh, it doesn't look likely because they think he wants to stay in England. It's like, yeah, well, we could have told you that at the start. <laughs> we could have saved you a year's worth of links or so. Um, Matt Doherty's, I know Matt Doherty's obviously is a friend of his, but his, his quotes were like were so nice on him when he was talking about him. Just an incredible, he's going to be remembered as one of the best the Premier League's ever seen. And I think he will because I think he'll be the Premier League's top goal scorer. That's a, it'll be a tough total to beat as well, although... Haaland might manage it next year to <laughs> the way he's going. Um, but he is. He's just superb. Um, and he said he's going to break every record going. And it was quite interesting. He did um, Kane himself in his Spurs play interview. I watched that after as well. Um, and he was saying, although he doesn't care about records, that he hopes that it was Miles who doing the interview, uh, that he um, he's constantly asking him about records, you know, as they come, and they'll always be talking about these sort of things and each record he's beaten, which, I don't know, I, I took it a little bit of like a, ooh, <laughs> Harry Kane commits future to Tottenham kind of thing. I just thought it was a nice little moment. He may just be in this season because he could beat a few this season, but no, I thought that was nice. He's just, um, yeah, you know, we know that penalty miss was uncharacteristic. It was a real out-of-character moment for him, and... I love the fact that he's come back to Spurs and kind of using it to be hungrier um, in what he wants to achieve. I do think it's going to be interesting to see how it works in the summer um, if they can't get him tied down to a new contract before then because while they're going to get definitely the short-term benefit from him wanting to score goals and push it out of his mind completely, I think when it comes to the summer, he's definitely going to want to be convinced that Spurs can bring him the silverware. Because ever more, I think, now after that penalty miss, he'll want his career to be known for other stuff. Um, and yeah, so please, Tottenham, get him tied down soon. And uh, I guess he's got to be convinced, doesn't he, like Conte, that the future is is going to go in a certain direction. Yeah, very much so. Uh, before we discuss a bit more on the final one over Crystal Palace, Ali, do you want to just tell everyone about the benefits of using NordVPN? Yeah, of course, as you're probably aware now, if you're a regular listener, the Golden Guest Talk Tottenham podcast is sponsored by NordVPN. And you can use this service in a host of different ways to enhance your internet experience. NordVPN is the fastest VPN in the world, and that means there's no buffering, no lagging, and you can stream your favorite shows from anywhere in the world without your bandwidth throttling. As everyone knows that's heard me uh, talk about this before, I've obviously been... uh, a user of NordVPN. It's been very helpful, especially when out on working abroad covering Spurs and being able to use certain streaming services that I wouldn't be able to normally, uh, things I've paid for over here that so I can watch football and football clips and things that we haven't been able to get access to in the stadiums. Um, 
and just on a on a personal kind of level being able to watch tv shows and movies that i should really be able to watch because i've paid for it but for some reason when you cross into another country these things don't work and that's the beauty of nordvpn is that as well as being incredibly safe for everything on your device keeping everything secure and stopping people getting into it it also uh, allows you to kind of act as if your device is anywhere in the world you want it to be uh, and not only that, the outlay on a NordVPN subscription is cheaper for you in the long run. And that's because you can purchase things like streaming services or bookings from other countries at a much cheaper rate. So, for example, YouTube Premium is just 85p if you change your virtual location to Argentina. And booking flights from other countries can be cheaper too, meaning that you're paying out for Nord, but you're saving money overall. There are a whole host of other benefits from signing up to NordVPN, so why not give it a go? You can grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan, plus four months additional for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee. Shall we discuss Oliver Skip now? Because he was back in the starting 11 last night. I think it was... His third start in the Premier League this season. Then his other two came against Newcastle and Bournemouth. Obviously, he picked up uh, an injury at the start of 2022. Another unfortunate one in the summer. And he's just not really been available uh, over the past 12 months or so. And, you know, it was a big, big opportunity for him to come into the team with uh, Rodrigo Bentica suspended. No, Bentica injured. He presumed it suspended and... He struggled in the first half, didn't he? But he did get better in the second half before he was replaced. I thought he looked in that first half like a player that was playing, making his third Premier League start in 11... Actually, third start in all... No, third Premier League start in 11 months. He looked that rusty. There were a few moments when he was knocked off the ball too easily. Uh, I mean, I know like Zaha is a, a tough person to get off the ball in the first place but there are a few moments when him and Brian Hill and they might as well have been hanging onto his ankles trying to keep up with him because uh, he was just knocking them all over the place but I would say that I don't think Hoybier was much better I think the two of them both looked quite shaky alongside each other what I would say about Skip was that he was trying lots of forward passing that was something that you know we don't always see from the Spurs midfield um and then, yeah, second half. I felt he was good second half. I did. I feel like his game went up a whole other level. Um, and he and the Hoybier kind of got a much better grip on the midfield battle. It wasn't... I don't think he's probably pushed himself up the pecking order. I think he might still find himself behind Basuma. Although I don't think Basuma's particularly covered himself in glory in the last couple of games. Um, but certainly it hasn't made a dent on the uh, Bentancur-Hoybier partnership that I know we'll see as soon as Bentancur is fit again. Um, but Conte was happy with him afterwards. You know, He felt that, in his words, he gave him the answers that he was looking for, that he's he can be you know, still reliable and trusted and, and the play will bring in. You'd think he'll probably start against Portsmouth, get more minutes than those legs. Um but yeah, yeah, I think it was quite a good day for the young players overall. Um, he obviously got a lot of minutes. I think it's 66 minutes in his legs. Replaced by Pat Matassar, who we're going to talk about as well. Harvey White coming on for his Premier League debut was very good. I think the um, only one thing that I think the Spurs fans would have wanted to see was especially at 4-0 up, 13 minutes to go. <laughs> if ever there was a time to give Jed Spence a little bit more Premier League experience, I think that was probably the moment. And listening back, I don't know about you, but I didn't hear this at the time. When Emerson came on, there were boos again. Really? I didn't hear yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't I didn't hear it at the time. But when listening back, you can clearly hear them. Um, and it's like, you know, Conte keeps trying to make out, like, he's one of the young ones. Emerson's one of the young ones. It's like... He's desperate to cling on to the fact that I think that Emerson's 23 until next week when he becomes 24. And he's not quite, I'd say, I wouldn't really put him in that young, young group. But I do take on the point that he is a younger player, certainly younger than even Perisic. Um, but yeah, I just felt last last night, you know, I saw some people going absolutely mad about it. I don't think you can go mad about it after a 4 0 win, but I would say it was just a bit of a missed opportunity. It was a shame. You know, he could have come on, Jed Spence, and without the pressure, 
being 4 0 up, it could, you know, who knows what he could have done. They might have scored another one. It might have just, and if I'm going to be ultra critical, I actually thought Emerson wasn't particularly good when he came on either. It was a little bit kind of the ball didn't really advance with him too much. I remember one moment where he was running in what looked like a dangerous position and ended up going to the corner flag and not really doing anything with it. So, yeah, I, I don't didn't really see the benefit of that substitution. It didn't really um, add anything for anyone. It's not like, you know, 13 minutes is going to massively help Emerson's match fitness or anything. But, uh, yeah, but other than that, a good night for the youngsters. Yeah, it, it would have been nice to see Jed Spence. Like you're saying, it's just like the perfect opportunity. 4 up. You're not going to lose the game. Bring him on. Give him the minutes. What I was saying to you last night after the game was basically Emerson's in a position now where he needs the minutes. So does he start at right wing back against Portsmouth? And if oh. he does, I can imagine the fume. It will be absolutely crazy if Jed Spence doesn't start this game but we will discuss Portsmouth in a bit more depth shortly yeah. uh, but the other young players Pape Matasar getting another opportunity on the pitch he's really impressed Antonio Conte uh, over the past few weeks and you know opportunities have been there I thought he looked really sharp when he came on against Aston Villa obviously he didn't have a lot of time yeah. to make an impact 10 minutes or so but looked good on the ball used it well tried to get it forward and Crystal Palace again last night, you know, got stuck in, used the ball well, and I think there was an opportunity at the end, was it? Watson Edward going through, managed yep. to dis dispossess him. And I think that went down really well with uh, his Tottenham teammates. So there's certainly a player there, reminds me and probably a lot of other people of a, a young Patrick Vieira, quite gangly. Uh, there's certainly a player in there. Uh, just hopefully we'll see a bit more of him over the coming weeks. Yeah, no, it's, it's been good for him. It's one of those, again, who we presume might head off on loan. Um, I should stress, if I, did, I can't remember if I said it earlier or not, that Conte was quite clear in his press conference, the young players will not go on loan. He does not want to loan. He wants to, to keep them in and around the squad. Um, and so, you know, it's been a slow time for him. You know, we've seen more of Saar at the World Cup than we've done in the Tottenham shirt. Um, you know, playing for Senegal. And he's a very talented player, very, very highly rated in France. Um, obviously, last season was a difficult one on loan at Mets, because, back on loan at Mets, because, you know, they had a season where they're battling against relegation, all of it, really. Um, and that's the fact that he still started probably about 75% of their games and came on in all the others says a lot about him as a, a then 19-year-old. Um, and yeah, he's just had to kind of now push on now and adapt to the Premier League. And I think the best thing he did was deciding after the World Cup not really to have a break. Because let's be honest, he hasn't been playing a lot of football anyway. So it's not like he should be tired. And he came back early. He was straight back in with the squad. And I think the work that he did with Conte just paid off massively. Conte took a real shine to him. Is another player who is very tactically disciplined and intelligent as well. Um, he's, despite the fact that he's quite gangly, he's definitely got that strength about him. You know, like we say, we saw him take the ball off Edward um, really quite easily as well. Um, and he's, you know, he's no kind of small player himself. Um, he uses the ball very well. He's very progressive, always forward thinking, trying to get the ball forward to people as well. Uh, he's not afraid to go off on a little bit of a dribble too. So bearing in mind he's only just recently turned 20, I think. He's, yeah, quite a prospect. And it's, it's when you've got Conte's attention, that's just quite a big thing. It's a bit like Skip last season. When Skip got his attention, he was using him a lot. And I think we'll Cesar get, Cesar, that's quite difficult to say, Cesar more, um, presume maybe get his first start against Portsmouth, potentially. It's, it's, it's a difficult one because you probably... I don't know if you start Skip and Saar. Maybe you stick Basuma in there in a three... I don't know. We'll talk about that in a bit. But yeah, Saar now, is he can push on now. It sounds like he's been told he'll be there for the rest of the season, bearing in mind what Conte said. Um, obviously, ever-improving English as well. He looks really in the group. I think I noticed in the third goal... 
he leapt on top of the Spurs players in the celebrations, <laughs> came out of nowhere and ended up on top of them all. Um, so clearly feels part enough, enough of a part of the group to do that. And yeah, I think what's nice is that the fans are starting to take to these players, aren't they? I think, like we say, with Brian Hill getting his chant from your playlist um, and Pat Matasar, a lot of people afterwards raving about him, you know, really kind of feeling that maybe he starts to break through as this season goes on. Um, which would be terrific. It, it really, we need to nail down his name exactly, though, because I think someone told me it's Pap. We've always been pronouncing it Pape. Uh, we were talking about this with uh, one of the members of staff at Spurs that some, in some forms, he's losing the matter, you know, as if you know it doesn't matter. He's become Pap Sar in other places. Uh, <laughs> guess he's shaking his head at my joke there, just for those who can't see this. Um, yeah, so we need to work out exactly how his name is pronounced, and hopefully, uh, I'll, I'll, we'll ask someone at the club to get the exact pronunciation of it. But whatever, however you pronounce Pap Matasar, he's a uh, yeah, an exciting player for the future. And this is it. This is kind of what we've spoken about in the past about the one thing about Conte style of management not allowing much room for youngsters when they do play and when they do succeed. It's probably a bigger rush than it is watching football when you're just watching any other team. When the young players come through and do well, it's so much more exciting, I think, than just kind of the bog-standard players doing their thing. Um, and it's not, you know, they're very good players. I wouldn't say bog-standard is probably the right word to use, but you know what I mean. Seeing the young players kind of breaking through is such a brilliant part of football. Um, and hopefully, you know, these players continue on their journey. I think we'll be hearing a lot more about him uh, over the course of the season and hopefully the, the coming years. But again, it just shows it's literally a couple of substitute appearances, just giving someone the chance. That's all it is, just to see the quality and obviously uh, a couple of good weeks on the training pitch with Conte and the rest of the coaching staff. So plenty of positives. Must add as well, as you did mention, Harvey White. Really, really good to see Harvey White on the pitch because... He's been on the bench an awful lot of times in the Premier League over the past couple of seasons, but the opportunity to bring him on just hasn't been there. I think he's played in the Europa League when Jose Mourinho was manager and he got a really nice memento. Then all the players signed his shirt as well, so that's something he'll certainly cherish. Do you think Pap will become a superstar? Maybe. <laughs> Look at that. You went to answer that all honestly as well and then realised what I'd said. That exact moment when a little bit of guesty died there, you couldn't see it on the screen. Right. Um, Shall we discuss the Premier League table now? Because it does look a lot better than it did a couple of days ago. Tottenham now two points away from Manchester United in fifth. Uh, obviously, the United have played one game less. But they are... Now two points away from Newcastle as well. Liverpool dropped points at Brentford in midweek, so there is that five-point cushion. Liverpool do crucially have a game in hand, but it looks incredibly tight at the moment in the top four, and it's just a real shame that Tottenham have been dropping points in October against the top four rivals and then straight after the World Cup as well. Yeah, this is the weird thing about that Villa game, was that in the days before the other teams were picking up points and it was it felt like such a huge loss because of that. And then in the aftermath, the other teams playing next all dropped points. And it was really, really strange kind of way around. So like you say, I, I look at it exactly the same way. It's almost frustrating of where they could be. Um, you know, what, was it three points off City in the second, is it? I think it's only three, isn't it? I know there's probably a game in hand there or two. Yeah, three points yeah. City have two games in hand and they do play each other later this month yeah, in a well, couple twice. of time. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those where I hope that this win has come at the crucial time. It could be the perfect time. You harness the momentum from this, hopefully get a few goals against Portsmouth if you can, and it's not a Morecambe style match. Um, keep that going. And then, you know, you're playing Arsenal, City, Fulham, City, they're big games, but if you can sort yourself out, and with Conte declaring essentially that the medical department will have all of his players available again for him, 
which I think you could probably imagine there's doctors and physios and medical staff in the club going, what? Um, but if he has everyone available and is the strongest team out, then who knows what could happen? They're going to be incredibly tough games. But if you can come out the other side of that in a positive manner, then suddenly the league table looks very different. Stick a signing or two in there as well, and the whole mood changes. Um, but it's Tottenham, so who knows? We didn't really expect that result last night, so who knows which way it goes next. And it is vital that it does become a turning point in the season because if they then go lose against Arsenal, against Man City, then the win at Palace just doesn't really count for anything. So, yeah, just got to follow it up now. They're in a position, yeah, they have dropped points, but they're still in and around there. Uh, Lots of games to play. There'll be plenty more twists and turns in the season. Another 20 games for Tottenham in the league, so long way still to go. Right, Portsmouth... 12.30 12.30 on Saturday. What are we expecting in terms of the Tottenham team then? Wholesale changes or a few? I think you could have a fair few, couldn't you? Certainly Forster, you'd imagine, would come in in the goal. Um, Davies would probably come in as well. You change your wing back. So Sessegnon on the left. Ooh, we don't know who on the right at this moment in time. I'd hope that he wasn't bringing on Jed Spence because he was going to start him. I'd hope. But he does love a bit of Emerson Royale. Although, this is the weird thing, is that we kind of know that if the club the club will listen to offers for Emerson Royale, it's such a strange situation. Um, centre-backs. Maybe Jaffet comes in. Um, and then I guess because Dyer missed the last one, maybe he starts again. Maybe give Longley a rest. Um, Romero potentially a, a little rest after his World Cup exploits. Um, midfield, it, I suppose it depends whether you go three or not. I think probably you have Hoybier on the bench to come on second half, and you either go for Basuma and Skip or go for Basuma, Skip and Saar. Um, and then up front. I don't know, I've still got a feeling that Kane might start purely because he wants to keep scoring goals and he's got eight days between matches. I know that you'll be very annoyed if that happens because you don't think it should. Um, But I guess you've just got attacking options-wise. Unless he goes rogue and allows Harvey White to to start the game, that's probably the only way around it I can see if they play with a three up front because I think Hill and Son probably start. Yeah, that's what I've gone for. Hill and Son with Harvey White in attack. Uh, for me, I'd put Kane on the bench. Uh, obviously, it's been a lot of games over the past few weeks. He's had the World Cup as well. Arsenal and Man City on the horizon. I w- I'd just have him on the bench, and like it was 12 months ago against Markham, if you need him to come on and save the day, then bring him on. I just wouldn't want to be pushing him too much. Uh, in defence, I think I had Tanganga, Sanchez and Davis. Oh, Sanchez. Yeah. I Sanchez. Yeah, no Sanchez has to play. Quite right. Yeah. Uh, Sessignon, uh left wing back, right wing back. I don't know. I don't know. I hope it's Jed Who Spence. Well, in the team I would pick, I would pick Jed Spence. Yeah. But my feeling is... Emerson needs the minutes. Emerson is number two. Does he, though? <laughs> Does he need the minutes? Well, I he, can hear the Spurs fans saying that right now. Does he need minutes? Well, he does if Doherty's been playing the past few games ahead of him. Uh, I get what you mean in, yeah, in terms I mean, of... Does he actually need the minutes? Jed, Jed Spence <laughs> desperately needs the minutes. But then Emerson's not been playing a lot, and Emerson is obviously now second choice in the pecking order for the right wing back position, having been first previously. I wouldn't be shocked at all if Emerson starts ahead of Spence. I wouldn't be. No, I, 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 hope, wouldn't I hope I'm wrong, but we'll have to wait and see. At half where 11. did you play Harvey White? Did you have him as a false nine or did you have him where he's been playing in the friendlies or did you have him on one of the sides? Uh, I just had him on the, the right wing, put Brian on the left. Oh. Potentially, I... I mean, you could. I think he might go him. false nine if he plays. I think he might stick with that false nine role because then you can have Son and Hill either side, can't you? 
Yeah, could have Sonny through the middle as well. I know it's not Conte's uh, preferred position for Son, but it's an option. I'm just thinking you light on attackers at the moment. Is there any really any real need to you know push Kane and have him in the starting eleven? So. Going back to your Emerson point about needing minutes, um, I was just looking at it. And after the Arsenal game, the City game is on a... Thursday, isn't it? Four days Thursday. after. Yeah. So he's got a little bit longer. So you could probably, unless hopefully Touchwood doesn't get injured, but Doherty could probably manage both, couldn't he? And then you've got Fulham away on the Monday. So I don't know. I don't know if Emerson does need the minutes, but... You know, I, I'm just probably biased because I'd love to see Jed Spence get a little bit of a run out. Yeah, yeah. Well, hopefully he does start. But like I was saying, I wouldn't be surprised at all if uh, Emerson's in that starting eleven. Well, one thing he, he could do, why don't you trial Emerson as a right-sided centre-back? I knew you were going to say that. Um, then start, so the start them both. So who misses out, though? Tanganga, unless Tanganga goes in one of the other defensive positions. Mm. He's versatile. Maybe. I don't think it'd happen, but, you know, no, like I don't Emerson... Need to, but I know why you're saying that, yeah. He could play there. Uh, so, yeah. There's plenty of options for Conte. The one thing I would do is probably not go wholesale changes because just look what happened last year against Mark. Everyone expected Spurs to waltz that game comfortably and I think it was what three goals in the last 15 minutes had to bring all the big guns on yeah you know just got it done in the end quick question for you before we head off transfer window who do you think well sorry not who in particular what positions do you think are essential for Spurs to bring in a face or two in this window uh, right wing back probably be looking at another centre back Another attacking option. Oh, you go for three. You need. You reckon another centre back now? Yeah, I, th- I think there needs to be an upgrade there at some point. Whether they can get something done in January, but it's, it's a must for the summer. They definitely need to upgrade if they oh, want definitely, to. Definitely. They want to kick on. I think they need another attacking option. Need a Kulisewski alternative, and you know, Lucas has just had these injuries this season. He's just not really been available. Richarlison's had spells out either side of the World Cup. Kulisewski as well. You can't be short in those areas at the business end of the season. So it really could prove costly. Yeah. Yeah, and no, I think I'm with you. I think I think the set from what I understand, the centre back plan is currently, unless some great opportunity arises this month, is to probably tackle that in the summer and to get a couple of them. Um I can see how numbers-wise you've probably got enough to deal with that right now. Um, I do think another attacker is important because of those injuries. I think quite right. I wouldn't be shocked if an opportunity arises that they would go for a central midfielder, although that's not one of their priorities. I wouldn't be shocked if there is a deal that comes up and someone that they adore or wants, someone they've been tracking for a while comes up that they go for it. But I think other than that... Yeah, I think an attacker or a right wing back seems to be the priority. Um, the Doherty kind of form has come at a good time, but if he's not going to trust Jed Spence as number two and they're willing to listen to offers to Emerson, I think finding someone else that makes the system work, because let's be honest, that's where the system hasn't really worked this season, is that right wing back. Doherty being out of form, Emerson not being the attacking player, Spence not being trusted. It is the bit where the jigsaw hasn't had a, uh, the correct piece in it until Doherty's recent form. So, yeah, I, I think I understand why they're looking for the missing piece of the puzzle there as well. But uh, just make them the right one. Conte keeps saying what's key is that Spurs don't make mistakes in the transfer window. They can't do that. Um, if they can bring in two players of the ilk of Kuzeski and Benton Kerr, then we'll all be laughing. So, no pressure. It doesn't have to be. Big big money they need to spend no, as well. You just, just got the right money. Exactly, you just got to spend it wisely. I mean, we were di- discussing this last night. Chelsea spent mm. what three hundred million almost in the yeah. summer. They've regressed massively. Uh, so that just shows you know you don't have to spend millions. You just got to spend it well. 
And hopefully, you know, Fabio Paratici and Tottenham will be able to do that because it is a crucial month. Tottenham really need to kick on and just get this consistency back. So otherwise, there'll be no Champions League football come the end of the season. You mean you didn't enjoy the Conference League? I prefer the Champions League over it. <laughs> yes, yes, most definitely. Um, and, you know, I think we're at the point now where, you know, as we were saying earlier, how tight it is now in the race for the top four, that you lose two or three, especially with someone like Tottenham who haven't maybe got the the resources or, or the huge depth of quality to fix it with, you can slip very quickly almost to mid-table. I think Conte has warned the players about that as well. He was saying it after the Villa game. So for me, you know, if I'm Daniel Levy and the board and all of that and getting criticism, getting chance at matches and everything, even that aside, financially, it's almost like investing for... What's the expression that's gone out of my head? Speculating to accumulate, isn't it? That's it. You know, essentially, <clears throat> you buy two players, put in a reasonable amount of money with knowledge that Conte is good enough to manage the squad back into top four again. Bear in mind, he did it with, you know, probably a lesser squad, you'd say, than they would be able to if they brought in two more faces. Then, yeah, I mean, from the money you earn from the Champions League, financially, it makes sense to invest in this window to make sure you're back in it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I couldn't understand any logic um, to not trying to get a couple of quality additions in this window. But we're five days in. I think we got a little bit kind of used to the summer window and everything happening quite quickly and early, and there seemed to be quite a plan to it. Whereas this one, obviously, we're uh, five days in and there's not really any kind of solid rumblings. We saw Marcus Edwards' stuff coming out in the last couple of days, which from what we understand at this point of time is uh, is a little bit wider the mark. Um, doesn't really, it's just not a Conte player in my mind whatsoever. Um, and obviously we know they're like Porro, his teammate, Pedro Porro. So even though he technically, I don't think is a Conte wing back in terms of the natural physical um, aspect that you'd associate a Conte wing back with. That's not to say he couldn't mould him into one. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's such a weird window, isn't it? It's clearly one where various clubs are scouting out little things, little kind of opportunities and stuff. And But then I guess you look at Liverpool. Liverpool moved quickly for Gapco. Um, I'm loath to bring Chelsea into it because Chelsea, it can't just say Chelsea have moved quickly. It's because Chelsea have just thrown money at loads of situations. Um, I don't know some Spurs fans are saying, well, Spurs should do the same. But like we say, it hasn't helped Chelsea in the slightest. Um they're, they're really in danger of getting cut adrift a little bit if they don't kind of put a run together. Um, but yeah, yeah, I think Conte would obviously rather not have two deadline day signings like he did last time uh, with nothing before it. But then hindsight, I guess it worked in the end. Yeah, I didn't. In the ideal world, everyone would like the signings in, you know, first couple of days of the window. But it has been a quiet Start to the transfer window so far. Yeah, Liverpool signed yeah. Cody Gakpo. Chelsea have made a couple. But other than that, I think it's been fairly quiet on the whole. So plenty of time left to make signings. Just You just want them sooner rather than later, especially given Tottenham's current position and the need to kick on. Right, we'll leave that there for today's episode of Golden Guest Hot Tottenham. As ever, just keep with us at football.london for all your latest Tottenham and news. Grab your exclusive NordVPN deal by going to nordvpn.com forward slash goldguest to get a huge discount off your NordVPN plan plus four additional months for free. It's completely risk-free with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee.